This episode of the Get Fast podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. You are hosts for today, uh, former Australian Ironman champion, Jared Donnelly, and I am Jordan Donnelly. In this episode, we are talking about a relatively controversial topic, and it's team indoor training versus team outdoor training. And most traditional cyclists are team outdoor training because if you're not riding your bike outdoors then what's the point of riding your bike but there's a lot of evidence mounting for the fact that indoor training could be more beneficial than riding your bike outdoors which is a funny thing to say i know but before we get into the episode just remember that if you want to download our expert secrets cheat sheet that's a cheat sheet of the very best tips and advice that all the expert guests on our podcast have said to help you train smarter and race faster go to get fast podcast and if you want help from us in terms of our own programming to train smarter and race faster, you can go to getfastpodcast.com, download that free bonus cheat sheet, and you'll get onto our email list, which is the best way to get access to our programs. So before we get into the episode, I want to ask you, Dad, what's caught your attention this week? What have you been paying attention to? Uh, there's a couple of things, George, that have definitely caught my attention. Is, uh, one of them is the GCN app, and the other one is... Um, just on a personal side, the Trivalo athletes and their remarkable continuous improvement in their FTP. Um, and I shouldn't say remarkable because in my eyes, it's almost expected, but the amount of people producing PBs is just astounding. And, and there's a few things that have changed in the world. And one of them is... Funnily enough, what we're talking about tonight in the, in the podcast is, you know, indoor versus outdoor. So, yeah. um, so the majority of the guys have been training indoor and they are just doing PBs. Like three weeks ago, we had 37 PBs and we pretty much replicated it three weeks later. The same people, uh, including myself, have gone from, you know, wattage A now improved to wattage B. So... I, I, yeah. I'm just amazed. So what is, what do you think that's come down to? You said it was multiple factors, one of them being consistent indoor training, but what, what else has happened that has resulted in such a consistent increase in uh, wattage output um, across the board of a range of athletes of different levels? Yeah, there's a, it's never one factor, I reckon. And it's always a combination of things and that you'd like to pin it on one thing. And if we all did that, then we'll all improve. And that would be the solution to, to the, to the question. But it's never as simple as that. Um, I always think it's a combination of things and that's true in everything in life. Um, if you do a lot of little things well, you'll end up with a really good result um, rather than concentrating on just all your eggs in one basket um, and forgetting about all the other small one percenters, then you're probably not going to get the same outcome. It's like training really too hard uh, one day and then training uh, four days later instead of just chipping away continually uh, hitting hitting sessions day after day with the consistency thing that we always bang on about. Um, so I think it's a combination of things. Um, and that's really the thing that's caught my attention is um, when I try and um, uh, analyze what exactly is happening in our program that's an enabling all these PBs and I go, oh, well, the guys have done a lot more endurance where there's pressure on the pedals indoor rather than outdoor. Um, it must be that. And then I'll say, but hang on a minute. They've all raced for nearly 18 weeks uh, out of the last 22 weeks. And, you know, we've had 
probably a, a week off racing every fourth week or every third week or every fifth week, depending on what part of the series we were in, in our uh, current indoor racing uh, series. So that's another and thing. This is just a private Travello uh, yes. race that we've been running. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's another reason why I think um, they've continued with the normal um, high intensity training session on the other day. So, you know, they're, they're actually mastering uh, how to ride uh, in races better. So they're pushing themselves. They're getting more competition from the races. Um, they're actually learning how to ride with pressure on the pedals and the endurance. They're still able to ride to their, to their numbers in the, in the specific training session we give them. They're definitely recovering better because they're not working as much. They're not moving to work and, and driving and on the go. A lot of the stuff is in and around home because they're in lockdown. Um, but they're definitely more rested. The easy rides are understanding better how to do that. So um, I just think it's, it's all of that um, uh, and getting that result uh, is, is just so pleasurable. There has to be something said about that that factor you spoke about in terms of life balance and when when life is normal it's it's pretty hectic and so training can take a back seat or you are turning up to training tired or under time pressure whereas in the current circumstances you've got more time on your hands and you're not running around especially for uh, victorian people this is not true for everyone around australia or around the world but um, people have experienced different lockdowns for for certain time frames but uh, for victorian people still at the moment it's um you know, you, you're probably not traveling to work unless you're an essential worker. So you are, you know, really focusing on your training. And I was talking to a friend of mine who was saying um, training is pretty much the number one priority at the moment because it's the only thing they get to look forward to each day because they can't leave the house. So, yeah. And, and, you know, what, what's, what's stood out in my mind is that uh, it's majority of the training has been indoor. Um, and, and we're going to talk about this in the podcast. Obviously, it's a great segue, but it is, it is outstanding how the improvement has been due to a lot of controlled training indoor. Definitely. So before we go into that, we did start talking about last week, the return of pro cycling and how exciting it has been. And to continue on that, uh, the Dauphin, I think, had one or two stages left when we recorded last week's podcast. And the last two stages were pretty epic. And the last stage was one of the best funnest stages to watch I've seen in, in years of anything and I think it is a preview of what's to come of all the races over the next two months and we we did think they were going to be exciting but if they're this exciting it's going to be awesome you know how good was it to see such a battle on the hills um for the top spot you know as it, it was everyone was racing for a matter of seconds there was different guys up the road fighting it was just so good to watch it was better than any of the grand tours I've seen over the years and uh it reminded me a lot of the, tour, the you know, the Giro is a very attacking style tour and it's exciting day after day. Whereas the, the Tour de France is, you know, it's, it's one of the all time great uh, events on the calendar every year, but it has a lot of predictability, a lot of flat stages, but, but the Dauphiné was just every day was uh, what's going to happen today. And it looked like it was a, you know, a given that, uh, that uh, Jumbo Visma had dominated the race from start to finish. They had literally five riders in there who could have won the race. Um, and you just never know what's going to happen next. You know, two days out, Roglic crashes, still finishes in yellow, and then can't start the last day. So all those guys who thought the race was over, now they have to actually refocus and try and work out how they're going to win this race. And, you know, they had still had four or five people on the last day who could win. Yeah. 
because Roglic was out, and so second, third, fourth, fifth was suddenly first, second, third, fourth, and they were all within 30 seconds of each other, and it just became such an awesome last stage. It was fantastic, and uh, yeah, it just goes to you know goes to show never give up, no matter what happens. You never know what's going to happen to anybody, your competitors. You know they could crash, they could get sick. Um, you know uh, what's his name from Mitchelton Scott pulled out as well two days earlier. Um, one Yates, of the yeah. Yates brothers um, yeah. with sickness. You know you just don't know what's going to happen, and and look, the season is so jam packed. The races are on top of each other, so this is the best opportunity for anybody um, who is who who has an opportunity to win a uh, pro tour race this is the year to do it because you can't um, spread yourself across all these races over months and over a year they're literally all between august and november mm. every single race the spring mm. classics the three grand tours you know the 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 uh uh, Dauphinés, that you know, the the middle range races, they're they're all on top. The the world champs might be cancelled, but you know the European titles. There's just that many races you can you can you know enter that you've got an opportunity where the field might be thin out because people can't race every race now. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what's happened for the three Grand Tours. You know, uh, Ineos released last week their their um, team plan for the next. Um, for the Grand Tours, for the, the Giro, the Tour de France and the Vuelta. And it's fascinating to see exactly that, that they've, they've gone with a complete split and Ineos who have dominated, Ineos slash Sky, who have dominated the last eight years of the Tour de France. And it's been, like you said, very predictable. Uh, it's not going to be as predictable as this year because they're not as strong. And so they've put Bernal as the leader for the Tour de France. They've put Geraint Thomas, Tour de France winner, um, as the leader for the Giro and he's not riding the Tour de France. And then they've put Five-time winner, Chris Froome. I can't remember if it's four going for five. Um, Chris Froome of the Tour de France has been cut from both and he's leading the Vuelta. So that is just crazy news to me. And that just shows what kind of races are going to be shaping up for. They're going to be totally unpredictable. Yeah, and the depth is going to be tested for every team. And the, t- the teams like uh, Yamo Visma have amazing depth with, you know, they've got literally seven riders who could really win any Grand Tour. So they're going to be in the best position and they've got such such good backup riders to help and it's okay having you know uh banal or thomas or Froome as your main rider if you don't have four riders who can back you up in those tours no matter how good you are if you ride solo and cadell evans you know was a classic example of that for years he was riding in a team that couldn't help him and finally he got the bmc team together with um um george hincapi at the helm um, you know, and that enabled him to have a, a really good support team to enable him to win the tour. And, yeah. and he, he's the same rider, but without a backup support team, you, you're really limited. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'm excited. The Tour de France starts in a few days. And I'm really excited for that to start, up, start back up again. And I can't wait for all the Grand Tours and all the classics still to come over the next couple of months. It's, it's going to be great. But let's segue into uh, today's topic, which is indoor versus outdoor training. And I guess the first question for you, and I know you're going to give me a, a classic coach's diplomatic answer, but are you team indoor or team outdoor? And you have to pick well, one. <laughs> well, I've got to say, um, I did have this discussion with one of the athletes I'm coaching this afternoon, and I, I am an outdoor rider. There is no doubt in my mind that I ride my bike because I love riding outdoor. Um, I love going fast around corners and in the mountains and having the sun on my back and the wind and, 
you know, feeling it on my arms and my face and, and uh, the unpredictable nature of the terrain, um, the view, the scenery, there's just so many things about, about riding outdoor that makes me happy. Um, I go to a happy place and I don't care if I'm riding with a bunch of guys or whether I'm on my own, I'm still, still enjoying myself. Uh, you know, and you know, I've been so fortunate to be able to travel all over Australia and ride in some fantastic venues and, and across other parts of the world where I'm just astounded at some of the great roads you can ride on. Um, and so, yep, I am definitely an outdoor rider. No right. there. Good. I'm really happy with that answer. Um, and I didn't expect anything less. And I mean, the question is, can sound a little bit ridiculous in itself because you go, well, what's the point of riding your bike indoors? You know what you, you, your bike's meant to be, to be ridden outdoors, but there is such a strong argument for the evidence showing the controlled nature of training indoors and how much, a better rider um, you can be and uh, the ridiculousness of it uh, actually one one article caught my attention online a few months ago i was doing some uh, look, just looking into zwift and, and i found this article um and it was comparing zwift outdoors to real real life outdoor outdoors and uh the how hard it is and how much it simulates real life and um, this guy did this big comparison of just the corners and what you experience and whether the um, gradient feels the same if you've got the um, smart trainer and the kicker climb, that kind of thing. And then at the end of the article, he had a comparison between the two and he had indoor scenery. It's great because on, on Zwift, they like they get the pictures right um, and outdoor, obviously the scenery is great. And then he put, um, but because of the scenery, I prefer indoor. And I, I thought he must be joking. <laughs> I went, what are you this is just taking it too far. You can't be serious, but he was dead serious. And a lot of the comments below the, the article were going, is this guy joking? You know, what, what does he think that the indoor Zwift is better than riding outdoors itself? You're in the, in the mountains of France. I just thought that surely, is taking it too far. You know, surely, surely it was a typo and he meant to say the scenery. Yeah. Surely. It ha- yeah. That's, that's what I thought, but it clearly said it. And I just thought this is, yeah. this is yeah. getting out of hand if we're thinking it's this good, but take me through what are the, what, what's some of the pros of indoor training that, um, you're loving so much and that uh, getting people to start having this conversation about, you know, the fact that really we should be considering the amount of volume we should be doing indoors compared to outdoor. Well, that's a, a really good question. But before we get to that, I just want to finish on that topic you just talked about. Um, yeah. they've just, uh, the Zwift have just opened up uh, Monfon 2 and we actually did a, a time trial last Thursday night for the first seven and a half K up it. And it was pretty epic time trial. Um, and I've, I've ridden the Von 2 in real life and on Zwift. And I've also ridden Elk plenty of times in real life and on Zwift plenty of times. And yeah, sure. The scenery and the buildings are all replicated perfectly, but there is just no comparison between the two. I'm, you know, you can't even have them in the same sentence. It's, you, you get the feel of the elevation definitely on, on Zwift. If you've got, you know, the kicker climber and, um, and you can feel the bike really going up to 12 and 13% on Montfond too. Um, uh, and it's, and it's a really difficult climb, but I've never been so exhausted as I was on Montfond too in real life at 36 degrees. Um, having ridden the first half of it way too hard and exploded halfway and nearly didn't get to the top. And I've almost joined Simpson in the grave at the three K to go mark, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is one of the, uh, one of the places, you know, a monument that's, 
been put there since 19, I think it was 60 something when he actually died on Mont Ventoux riding in the Tour de France. And it turned out that he was full of uh, amphetamines, but that, you know, that's another story. But, um, but certainly, and my time was literally 10 minutes quicker on Zwift than it was in real life. And that to me just, you know, how could I possibly, I, I turned myself inside out to break an hour on Alp d'Huez. Mm. And yet, and, and I really rode hard on Zwift to try and break 50 minutes. And I did, but there's no way it was a, a similar experience in terms of, uh, um, you know, just it, the whole round experience was just, you know, not like it. Um, yeah. I guess that, that leads to another part of my question to follow up from what I just asked was, you know, how can you possibly say that indoor training can be so good if it's, it's way off, you know, if you're riding 10 minutes faster on the hill, it can't, it can't really replicate outdoor riding that well. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the main part about that we try to uh, focus on in the indoor training is the control. Um, and so ask me the question again, Joe, before we, before we go into that question. Well, the, the starting question was, what is the biggest pro of um, controlled indoor training and why is it making so much noise? Yeah, and, and that's what I wanted to get to. It's, it's absolutely the controlled environment. It's like being in a science lab. And as long as you can change your mental focus to understand that, that the outcomes you're going to achieve rather than this is not riding, this is not real riding, this is not outdoor riding, I, I hate this. If you've had that mindset, then you, you'll, you, won't, you won't be able to get on the bike. Um, so you've got to change your whole mental focus and go, right, I can't go outside. So what are the options left? And, and funnily enough, there are quite a lot of limitations of how you can improve as a rider if you just ride outside compared to if you use both. And I'm a real advocate now of using the best of both worlds. Um, uh, indoor has so many, so many good positive things um, that are completely different to the good positive things of outdoor riding. You don't get the feel the, the, of the wind. You don't get the sun. You don't get the, um, the views. You, you, know, it, you just don't get any of those things that I love about riding, but you get the value. That's what you do get. You get the controlled value where if you're outdoors and you come to a, a hill that you've climbed and the only way from this point is downhill and it might be eight minutes of downhill, well, there's literally no pressure on your pedals for the next eight minutes. On Zwift, no matter where you are, if you stop pedaling, you don't move. So, so that is the, the biggest standout thing is the pressure on the pedals um, that Zwift has that you you have trouble achieving with the terrain that you pick on an outdoor ride. So you have to be real careful what course you pick outdoor to achieve the same thing. And for example, if you're trying to, to replicate some pressure on the pedals and you know, you'd need a climb that goes for 40, 50 K to get that two hours of pressure on the pedals. Well, there just isn't one, you know, um, the longest climb we have in Australia is, you know, an hour and a half probably um, worth of climbing. Uh, and that's, you know, that's fantastic. But even on that, it's got some downs and mm. some e easy bits. So the pressure's off the pedals. Mm. Um, and as people know who ride with power, it's hard to, hard to push power on a downhill. You know, it is really hard to keep the pressure on the pedals when, when you might run out of gears. You're in the 53, 12 or 11 and you're still spinning your legs. So the pressure's gone. Mm. So that is the biggest factor in indoor riding that I think it differentiates 
the positive for indoor against uh, the negative of outdoor. So, so I find that that is the single most thing that I would put at the top of the list as to why we talked about in our, uh, what's caught my attention at the start, why the guys FTPs have improved. It's not just one thing, but I can tell you what, it is the pressure on the pedals of those endurance rides that we're doing on Saturdays that has certainly been one of the key factors that guys are able to sustain constant power and it's a real art. And, you know, the example I was talking about uh, recently was uh, one of the guys sat, be, sat behind me um, after the endurance ride on Saturday morning and Ben won't mind me mentioning his name, I'm sure. <laughs> and it was really, really interesting to see. Um, I'm sure Ben was happy just to, to roll along with me, but, but I was on, I was on a set of rollers. So I was able to hold steady power. And I was trying to hold around 145 watts to 150. And it's quite easy on the rollers because you can't really move around that much unless you really stomp on the pedals. Um, so it was easy. I was just spinning. It was a warm down. But Ben was forever going ahead of me, then dropping back, then going ahead of me. And it seemed like he was having trouble keeping constant pressure on the pedals. And after we did this for half an hour, and after about 15 minutes, he really got the hang of it. And he didn't move from my side. And it was fantastic to see what he was like in the first 15 minutes to what he was like in the second 15 minutes. He actually learned how to, how to keep the pressure even. It was really good. It was a pity I couldn't talk to him and tell him that he was going well. But, um, but up until that point, it was a real standout for me. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about the rollers anyway, because when you train indoors, you've got the option of an old school type of trainer. Um, you've got the option of the newer smart trainers, which have a lot of fancy options on them. And then you've got the rollers as well, which is, you know, keeping that balance. And that is a good, good way to keep pressure on the pedals because if you don't, you'll fall off. Yeah. It's uh... Yeah, you know, we do have lots of uh, varying um, ways to ride indoors, which is really interesting. And um, I was just experimenting. I was just wanted to see. Um, I was almost going out in sympathy with Joe Spano, um, broke his, uh, his uh, smart trainer, the fan belt broke, and he had to ride the rollers because he had no other bike on Saturday morning. So it was going to be an interesting thing to, to experiment to see whether you could sit on the rollers for three hours plus. Um, and it really it really uh, highlighted how well you are and how comfortable you need to be to hold that position because you are balancing on a set of rollers. And it's not, you know, normally people use rollers um, outdoor as a warm up thing where they're just warming their legs up. They're not actually doing any specific uh, efforts or because most rollers don't have resistance. Um, but the set of rollers that I have have three levels of resistance. So you can actually ride you know, 400 watts uh, for as long as you like, if you wanted to on these rollers. So, and you can use it for just a basic uh, spinning your legs for a warm up activity. So, so riding the rollers really teaches you how to pedal well indoors. And if you don't pedal well, you know, pedaling 360 degrees, pulling up, pushing down evenly, you start bouncing on those rollers and guess what? You'll bounce off. And, and this is a great way to learn how to, how to get really good pedaling technique action going. And, I can assure you, I never thought I could ride more than an hour, an hour and a half on the rollers. But, you know, having just done three plus hours on Saturday, I've just proved to myself that, you know, you can do it. You can balance for that long. You can keep the pressure on the pedals evenly. And, and in that three, uh, that endurance race we did, there were bits where I had to push some higher power through the hills. 
and there was bits where I was sitting on the flat. So I had to keep changing, you know, changing my pressure on the pedals. So, you know, it is something that you can actually uh, use to your advantage. And this is one of the things we're talking about, how valuable I couldn't do that outdoor, um, maintaining that pressure on the pedals for three hours on a course that, you know, the courses I use around here, there's so many times where I'm going downhill and the pressure's off. So, um, um, so yeah, that, that's one of the key things is that pressure on the pedals. And just a quick note uh, before we continue, uh, the audio for me was breaking up a little bit. I'm not sure how it's going to um, come up on the recording, uh, but if it does, just know that because of the current COVID restrictions, uh, we can't be recording this in the studio together. So we apologize for any audio breakup. We're recording it with the best um, stuff we can, and we hope that it comes up all right for everyone to listen, but this is why it's probably not as crystal clear as it normally is. Um, so continuing on that note with uh, thinking about the pressure on the pedals and um, whether you're on the rollers or not, if you've got a power meter, you can often see most power meters show you your left and right power balance. So once you finish your session, you can go and find out were you 50, 50% even, were you 48%, 52, one way or the other. And like you said, if you are just a pusher, you're not a puller, you know, you're not the full 360 degree action. If you're one leg is stronger than the other, you're going to get found out on the rollers pretty quickly because you're going to be going sideways a lot. And one argument against indoor training is that uh, people can say, well, you, you know, you aren't learning to ride outside properly. You know, you, you're in such a controlled environment. You're actually not learning to ride the bike on different terrain. And, but the flip side of that is that it really teaches you to ride evenly or can teach you to ride evenly and controlled so that when you get outside, you're riding properly because if you just train outdoors, you might never understand that you're actually riding really uneven, um, but you're getting away with it because you're outdoors and you've got plenty of road to be on. Yeah. And look, I use the example of uh, the guys I coach who, who use just normal courses, uh, everyday you know, suburban streets. Um, and then they use the velodrome and then they use the indoor uh, training facility. Um, you, you can control everything indoor. All you have to worry about is your power and probably your cadence. And if you really wanted to, you know, look at the speed you were doing or the altitude you were climbing there. They're just not that relevant to, to anything, but if power to, and yeah. yeah, power and cadence are two key things that you are trying to learn as a bike rider. Am I pedaling correctly and what power am I pedaling at? Heart rate is a result of those, of those two things. And obviously, you know, from all the coaching that we do, the, if you if you try to, to pedal cadence, in the 100 RPM, you're going to stimulate your heart rate. If you try to do strength efforts at 60 RPM, it's not so much a heart rate session, it's more a strength session. And this is really a controllable thing in indoor. And when you're outdoor, these are things that are secondary to the traffic, um, pedestrians, um, the wind, is it uphill or downhill? And then I'm trying to focus on my power and my cadence. So the distractions are enormous and, and it's good to go indoor and practice these things and then go to the velodrome where you're not got the traffic or pedestrians or traffic lights or variation in, in uh, terrain, but you've got wind. So you've added wind to your power, cadence and wind. And then once you've got confident with that, the next step is to go into the suburban streets where it's reasonably flat. So you've got now having to, to learn how to ride in the traffic um, and then once you've got that down pat, then you can go into the hills and try to learn how to ride power uphill and downhill. So, so, you know, it is a good stepping stone for outdoor. If I was trying to get someone to learn how to ride comfortably outdoor, 
The second thing is um, racing indoor is getting almost every facet of racing except for the bike handling skills. So I think it's good for those people who are really unconfident uh, outdoor to practice racing indoor um, because no matter how many mistakes they make, they, you know, this sounds quite controversial, but no matter how many mistakes they make indoor, they're not going to crash. Mm. You know, they, they, in Swift, you run into the back of another bike. It doesn't matter. Um, but you can get the feel of the surge of the race. You can get, get to understand that when you get tired on a climb that's coming or you're on your limit, you know, you only need to, to push the power a bit more and you can stay with the bunch and, and then your race is still going rather than, you know, getting dropped. So there's so many good things you can learn without the risk of the crashing so that when you come outdoor again, you can have, have mastered, you know, how to ride with pressure on the pedals, how to ride uphill, downhill, how to sit in the bunch. Because these things you can practice, you know, with the safety of not crashing and then going into a race, you'd be so much more used to. And we've got novice riders joining us who've been racing with us now and never raced before. And they're, they're just hooked on racing. So mm. they can't wait to see some races in real life and, and try and hone what they've been practicing on the indoor trainer um, in a real race situation outdoor. And of course, they're going to mis make mistakes. And outdoor, it's not, are you going to crash? It's when are you going to crash? Mm. And, you know, that's true for everybody. Everybody who's ridden outdoors has come off at some stage. Um, mm. So, you know, we do need to practice our skills outdoors. There's no doubt about that. But when the situation um, is reversed, you know, that's one of the things we're going to lack um, when we can't go outdoor. Um, I'm, not, I'm not an advocate for doing everything indoor, but I see the value of the things I just spoke about with racing and with learning how to ride with pressure on the pedals are two key things. Have you had any preference uh, between racing indoor and outdoor? Um, I, I actually think racing indoor is harder because, you know, when I look at the examples of the crit races and the road races we do, there's so many periods where there might be uh, easier sections of the race. And whereas on Zwift, when it eases up, you still have to keep the pressure on the pedals to stay in the bunch. Whereas in real life, you can really be riding extremely high power and then periods of easy power, but you don't get those extremes in Zwift. Um, you can ride really hard in Zwift, but when it's easy, you're going to get dropped. So you have to keep the pressure on the pedals to stay in the bunch. So, so in some ways it's harder to ride outdoor in a race because it's more tactical because there's higher efforts and easier efforts and you have to be ready for the unpredictable nature of that. So yeah. Zwift is less, less unpredictable. So it's a more tactician race outdoor, whereas indoor, it's really the strongest guy is going to win, which is kind of good, but, but that's not what bike racing is about. Yeah. You know, yeah. We know from, from everything we've ever talked about in, in all of our podcasts, that's part of the thrill of racing is not only that, you know, the best guy doesn't win. It's, mm. you know, if you've got, got half a dozen guys who've got the same fitness and one is extremely tactically talented, he will beat those guys hands down every time, even if he's less fitter than those other guys. Mm. You know, tactic, tactics is such an important role. And I suppose that's the native of the indoor. Um, the peloton indoor, the speed is so much faster than the individual. And in real life, that's not what happens. Um, if you break away from a bunch in real life, the peloton normally look at each other and the bunch slows down and the guy gets away because they're all hesitating. But in Swift, 
they might hesitate, but because there's 10 of them, they're still rolling at a speed that's faster yeah. than the individual. And the, al- yeah. the algorithm's wrong. Yeah. Um, yep. so, um, so that's a bit of a negative. But, you know, the value of the race is still there with the things we, we spoke about. Um, yeah. So you touched on uh, just before the fact that you've pushed it out to see how far you can ride the indoor trainer. Um, you went three hours on the rollers, which is a um, pretty crazy effort. You know, balancing on the rollers takes up a lot of energy. So doing one hour is enough. Going up to three hours is pretty crazy. And you probably, before this period, would, would hesitate to... Um, to schedule into anyone's programming or your own programming any extended time on the trainer because you just think it's too long just to sit there. It's too boring for one mentally and physically it's just not worth it sitting there for the same amount of time as an outdoor ride. But you did test and you, you pushed up to what, a four, five, even six hour ride indoors. How did that go? Yeah, well, look, I have progressed since March, George, just to see how far I could actually extend this. And I just didn't do this straight away. It, it, took, it took from March. So, you know, I'm a believer of everything in progression. So if I, my goal is to see how far and how long I can ride on the indoor trainer, well, I certainly started back in March when we started the first lockdown and I'd never been on the trainer for three hours, you know, so that was, that was an achievement in itself. A hundred K on the indoor trainer. Um, And then I just progressed week by week to, you know, 110 to 120 to 130. And, you know, the next milestone was a hundred miles, which is 160 K and I'd done, you know, quite a few weeks, four or five weeks of that. And then it was, righto, how much further can I go? Um, and, you know, built to 180 to, to 200 and, and, you know, two weeks ago, um, managed to do 220K, which is just under six hours. And, and why would you do that? Well, I'm really adamant that you need to keep the endurance going in your program. And, and people will say that's the limitation of indoor training. You can't go for a five or six hour ride like you can outdoor. You can go for 200K outdoor ride on a Saturday and it's just so much more enjoyable. Well, it actually is so much more enjoyable, but if you do it and manage it and manipulate it, you can still achieve endurance on the trainer because I just proved it to myself. Um, so it was clear in my mind that, that if I wanted to actually see if you can do it, I had to do it on myself before I could say to people that I'm coaching that this is possible. Mind you, it, it did need some manipulating and I did have to put myself into three different uh, events to, to, cover the, to, to cover the 200 odd K so that it felt like I was in, in bunches the whole time. So um, it would have been difficult on my own if I was just staring at a wall listening to music like I used to do pre-March, pre-COVID, um, <laughs> pre-Zwift. Um, yeah. So you know, and I would, I would set some two hour indoor ergo programs, which I found, whew, that was a tough session to get through. And geez, how would you ride any more than two hours or two hours, 10 or two hours, 20. But, but now I don't have that, that uh, restriction on me. Um, and, you know, I don't like mentioning my own data, but I've never ridden such high power in the last four weeks than I have in the last eight years. And I've, got a feeling and and we've you know we said earlier on the podcast that we've had up to you know 30 pbs for ftp in the three weeks ago and then three weeks later last thursday we had another 30 odd again and and the majority of things that are happening is endurance um is being the main key thing that we've been concentrating on sure we're racing every week that has to have some some input into the improvement 
sure we're doing the specific training session, but extending the endurance. And most people, have, they're all joining in that Saturday endurance ride where they've gone from never riding more than an hour and a half on the indoor trainer to all reaching three hours. You know, I'm talking 30 or 40 riders. And so the coincidence is those same 30 or 40 riders are all doing PBs in their FTP. So to me, the correlation between that pressure on the pedals, endurance riding is massive. And you have spoken about as well, the weight of the indoor training already, you know, the, the amount of pressure on the pedals over a three hour period is worth a five or six hour outdoor ride because of the amount of um, rest you get in an outdoor ride. If you're out there for six hours, you could potentially have three hours of non pedaling and non resistance, even if you are pedaling because there's a lot of downhills, whereas a three hour pressure on the pedals could be equivalent to that. Yeah. And you know, you've been in a bunch with me when I can hear the sound of freewheeling and how angry I get and I turn around and say, why are you freewheeling? Keep rolling the pedals over. Um, but you know, when you sit in the middle of the bunch, there are periods where you don't need to pedal because the bunch is dragging you along. Um, and they're the things that you don't get on the indoor. You don't get any free, free power. We call it, you know, outdoor, you just forever, uh, even when the road terrain drops a meter, you can feel it. The pressure in your legs is less. And then the terrain kicks up. Then you can feel it. The pressure in your legs is greater. So you're getting all these little micro fractures of variation, which is actually a good thing. But for pressure on the pedals constantly, it's actually not being attained. Um, it's a good thing for other types of training. But when we're talking about this endurance pressure on the pedals, it's actually not a good thing because there's, there's so many times when you're getting these little micro fractures of recovery. And we actually don't want that when we're trying to achieve this constant pressure on the pedals all the time that we talk about. And, you know, if you come to a set of traffic lights, it could be 30 seconds or a minute. You're standing, your heart rate drops. There's no pressure on the pedals. There's no blood being flowed around the legs and you almost start refreshed again. And if you did, you know, some of the rides that we do, I could, I could have 30 traffic lights in the space of a five hour ride. So I'm getting 30 stops. And then you know, normally guys want to stop for coffee in the middle of it, which I'm dead against. I want to have a coffee at the end um, when the ride's done. Um, not the fact that I don't drink coffee. It's just that it just breaks up the pressure on the pedals idea that we're trying to achieve. So, so the indoor riding has all these positive things that you can't achieve outdoor unless you are on the, the, the nullarbor plane where it was a flat road and, <laughs> and you know, you're in a block headwind for 190 K that's about the only time you could replicate the same thing, but yeah. that would be as boring as, you know, yeah. <laughs> as what you can imagine. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, I've got plenty of examples of everybody in bunches who, who I'm forever saying, keep pedaling, you know, just keep that pressure on the pedal so we can replicate what we're actually achieving indoor. Yeah. So just before you mentioned that you know, pre-March when the world changed, you actually had uh, probably resisted going onto Zwift. Uh, not so much that you had anything against Zwift. You just preferred that when you got on the trainer, you wanted to focus on your session and do it properly. And uh, that's probably a factor that you didn't like about, about Zwift and training indoors is, is that people were still doing it wrong and doing it wrong depends on your goal, but you know, athletes and cyclists are still getting on there and just um, not, not actually achieving what we're saying. And they're not actually having pressure on the pedals and they're not doing the sessions properly and they're not getting the benefit from indoor training. 
Yeah, and look, Zwift has really uh, improved as well because you can now load your training session on onto Zwift, so you can actually do the session properly um, and still get the benefits of feeling like you're riding around outdoors and people, riders around you. So, so or it's actually yeah. yeah, it's it's actually improved um, incredibly. So, um, so you know, every single training session you can choose to load your training peak session onto. Um, it's all it's there every. Every day it's there, you can choose whether you used it or not. Um, so you can concentrate on riding, you know, say you're doing six by five minute efforts. You can concentrate on, on the power that you're supposed to be riding by looking at your, your head unit and you're still getting the benefit of feeling like you're riding, you know, um, against riders outdoors. So it's distracting, but you can still use it properly. The thing that I'm against is people just getting on Swift and every day, just like I'm against people getting on the local road in your area, for example, here it's Beach Road, I'm against riders riding in groups, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because they're just riding in a group with no specific goal. And the people who get on Zwift without really doing any training programs are doing the same thing as riding on their local area. They're just riding the same ride every day with no variation in their, their intensity, their duration, or their, you know, their effort is just the same all the time. So you need to be changing the variation and that's why um, using Zwift to manipulate it the way you want to do it is is making it a whole new ball game. So we're yeah. using it. We're using it for for our own individual races. We run a Trivello race, which is a handicap. Zwift have their own races, but I very rarely do them um, um, as a short, hard, intense race um, because there's so much uh, that's out of my control. I don't, I'm racing against people who I don't know what their weight is, so I'd rather ride with a group. And we've got you know, a group of 60 or 70 riders where it's a handicap and I know everybody's got the right numbers. And so it's all, it's all controllable. And then we've got our own training peak sessions where they're actually loaded onto Swift and we can train properly against those programs. So, so we're manipulating uh, the indoor trainer to suit ourselves. Yeah. So to finish off, uh, given <coughs> if, if circumstances were normal and we didn't have to train indoors all the time, what do you think the optimum ratio would be between indoor and outdoor riding? And given this light, light of new data that we've got with the, with the uh, benefit of the endurance ride indoor, uh, would you continue riding indoor on the, on the Saturdays at all, or is just riding outside still outweigh it? Um, I think I would be, uh, if, if possible, I would pick my terrain outdoor a bit better. Um, and the main set of my endurance section, I would try to make sure I've got more pressure on the pedals. I do that anyway. And people who ride with me know that that's how I ride outdoor anyway. You never see me stop pedaling, um, whether I'm going downhill or whether I'm going uphill or the flat, or I'm in the middle of a pack. You know, I've, I've ridden in the middle of a pack with my brake levers on to try and feel some resistance so that I keep pedaling. It sounds ridiculous, but, yeah. but I'm trying to achieve the goal of pressure on the pedals in my session. So I'd be more particular about the courses that I'd select to train at. Um, but, you know, I just have to look at Matt Heyman as the example, you know, he didn't do any outdoor training when he was injured and he came out and won Paris-Roubaix by just training um, with pressure on the pedals. Um, some really hard sessions in his indoor training sessions. So I think that's, that's a standout and, you know, that yeah. makes, makes, make, makes me believe that um, I think you need to pick, the best things about both indoor and outdoor to your advantage. That would be my summary. And to answer that final question, what would you uh, 
uh, guesstimate depending on the person, but guesstimate for the average person, the best ratio would be? Um, I think, I think climate has a lot to do with it too, George. If you're, if you're in an area, say you're in Europe and it's snowing for six months, you don't have a choice. It's almost as bad as being in lockdown. Um, you know, there are places where you just can't get outside because it's minus eight degrees. And, um, if you live in the mountains, you, you know, it's snowing and it's ice. You can't, you have to ride indoor. Um, if you're in an area like, you know, Northern Australia, where you've got pretty much all year round to, to choose, I would say if you can't find a course outdoor that replicates the terrain you need, <coughs> if you can't replicate the terrain you need, then you should ride indoor. Perfect. That's an easy answer. Well, that's a good way to finish. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about the indoor versus outdoor argument? Um, no, that I've learned a lot about indoor and um, I'm so happy that um, for every negative, there's a positive. And I really think that uh, I've learned a lot about how you of uh, indoor training. And it's something that uh, I will definitely embrace in my coaching. Perfect. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Once again, if you want to get access to any of our Travelo programs to train smarter and race faster, go to getfastpodcast.com. And if you go there, you will also get to download a free bonus cheat sheet of the expert tips and advice from all the guests on our podcast to also help you train smarter and race faster. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time.